This morning, we finish our series, as Bryce was saying earlier on Ephesians, Alive in Christ. And all summer, we've been talking about what does it look like to be God's people who have been brought from death to life? What does it mean that we have this identity that's not earned but given through faith in Christ to be alive, to be chosen, adopted, and named as Christ's own? And then the last few weeks, we've been asking the question, okay, if this is who we are now, how do we live that out in this world? And here today, as we end, I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, where the Apostle Paul, our writer, is kind of bringing all of these different themes together and making a final call for us. This was a common way that authors in the day, um, in Paul's time and culture, would finish a letter with a call to action. It's a battle cry. Paul is saying, you are God's people, you are no longer dead, you are alive, this is who you are, this is what you've been called to do, now go and do it. Live into it. It's his call to action. And as I was preparing for the sermon, the dork in me was reminded of another epic speech and a call to action. And that's in the last Lord of the Rings movie, when Aragorn, the the leader of humankind basically at this point, is leading what's left of the remnant of humanity against the most evil forces on earth. And they're standing at the gate essentially of evil itself, and he looks at his men and he sees fear in their eyes, and this is what he says to them. He says, my brothers, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day. This day we fight. And then he ends by saying, I bid you stand, men of the West. This is an epic call into what feels like an impossible battle. But we hear similar words from Paul in what we're about to read. His call to us in the face of the evil that we face in this world is to stand as brothers and sisters in Christ. In the face of evil, to stand in the power of God himself because we still face a battle every day. It's not a new one. It's an old one. But it's still raging on for each one of us. And even though, like Paul has told us, we've been brought from death to life, which means we have the victory in Christ already. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Right, brothers and sisters? Even though we know our ultimate victory has already been won, the path ahead to victory is still daily through battle. And so Paul is calling us to stand firm, ready in the face of battle as God's people. So hear this call to arms as we read from Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, 
and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul comes right out of the gate in this passage by calling Christians to stand. To stand strong in the power of God. And while I love that speech that Aragorn gives at the Black Gates of Mordor, what I love more is that this is a speech that doesn't call us to stand in our own strength. It's not a speech that calls us to say, buckle up and deal, people, we gotta go. Get your courage on, we can fight. The Greek word that Paul is using here for, um, for be strong, it's passive, which means it's not something that you do to yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's our first command, and it's something we can't do. Isn't that wild of Paul? But what we see here is God's heart for us to be strengthened. His desire is for his people to be strong. And God says, you know what? You can't do it. I'll supply it. I'll give you what you need. So when we start with this passage, no, we're really starting with a promise. We're starting with a promise that God says, I will be your strength. I will give you what you need. I will strengthen you and do this for you. This is beautiful. We see this in the greater testimony of scripture. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, God's power is made perfect in my weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong. Because it's not Paul's courage or his own strength he's relying on. It's being put on him by God himself. God is doing the strengthening. In Isaiah 41, God says, I will strengthen you and I will help you, my people. It's not something God's people do. It's something that God does for them. So even when we are weak, even when we are standing at the face of evil itself, God says, be strong because of who you are in me. Your identity as one, is one whose promise is to be strengthened by God himself. And that's beautiful. That's a great way for us to start looking at this passage, knowing God already promises to provide us the strength that we need on his own doing. And this command we see that continues to be strong, it's a continual command in the Greek. means it's not just like a one and done or when evil comes, then you should be strong. It's a daily command, a daily strengthening that happens over time. This isn't an opportunity where we, oh, oh God, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling like I'm having a tough day. I need strength. I need to be able to stand strong. I'm going to open my Bible and read a verse, and now magically, boom, I'm good. We know there's power in the word, but that's not how God is setting his people up. Our identity, like we've talked about, is in Christ, and that's where we find our strength. It's not a one-and-done magic solution. 
It is a way of living that the Greek points to as continuous. Day in, day out, you have the strength of the Lord because your identity is in Christ. Because we are rooted in him. We are empowered in him. The one that has this power, we are so intimately connected with him that of course we have his strength. This is a continual call to keep our lives and our feet firmly planted in deep relationship in the Lord. That is when we experience this strengthening, this mighty power on a regular basis, when we live in our identity as people who are rooted in Christ. And the power that God calls us in this verse, be strong in the Lord's mighty power, has been displayed throughout time and history. It's a power we've seen in the Gospels that has brought the blind sight, has brought the dead to life, has set the captives free, and loosed the chains of the demon-possessed. It's the power we've been talking about all summer throughout the book of Ephesians. When Paul says, it's by grace you have been saved. You were dead, you are now alive. This is the power that rose Jesus from the grave. This is the power we are called to stand in. This is the power we are given to use in the day of evil. It's God's power. So we know it will be enough for what we need when the day of evil comes. When the struggle that Paul refers to comes. And this is really good news. Because the struggle that Paul says is coming is very real. It's very real. Real enough that God tells us the only way we are going to have the strength to stand in the face of the struggle, the only way we're going to be prepared is to equip ourselves in the strength of the Lord and to put on the armor he has given us. We live and we are alive in Christ, brothers and sisters, but don't be fooled. There is death and evil all around us on this side of eternity, is there not? Do you not see it in your lives every day when you go to work, when you go to school, when you're out in your social circles? There are still spiritual forces of evil that Paul talks about working in this realm today. If you don't see it, ask God to open your eyes and you will be shocked and alarmed by what is going on in the world. There is a struggle against the children of God that is happening day in and day out, and it's not a human enemy. It's not an enemy, Paul says, that's made of flesh and blood, not people, but evil forces. Paul says the struggle is real. We have a very real enemy. It's here, and it's coming. And so he tells us in this passage how we are to do battle when the enemy comes. And that's by putting our armor on and standing firm in God. Four times Paul calls us to stand in this passage. And the stand word here means not to lose ground on an attack. It's not a forward attack. This is a stand firm where you have come in the Lord. Don't let the enemy get a foothold. Don't let him push you back. Stand firm. And four times tells us that we have a determined enemy. Doesn't it? Paul is making us aware that the attack will come. The day of evil will come to us, he says. Now when Paul says this, he's not likely referring to some apocalyptic day, right? We know that's probably included in that. 
He's not referring to a specific day. Paul is referring to any and every day we face when the enemy comes after us. Says, when the day of evil comes. Not if the day of evil comes. Doesn't say if we're good enough and faithful enough, the devil will stay away. He won't mess with you. I think too many of us forget the simple truth that the struggle is real, the enemy is persistent, and this day of evil that Paul talks about is happening all the time. Too many of us walk around expecting life to be easy, right? I know Jesus now, life is going to be easy, it's going to go my way, but that's not what God promises us. He says, in this world you will have trouble. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world, right? There's the promise right there of the power that's in us. Too many of us don't think when we leave the house, I should put on my armor today because there's a battle happening. Do you think people in war-torn Russia leave the house a little bit differently than we do? Probably prepare a little differently, right? They probably even wear different clothes. Maybe they have some type of protection that they wear. Too many of us do the same thing in our spiritual state. We leave the house with our, our armor. We leave the house without being prepared because we don't see the spiritual struggle, the spiritual war, the attack that is happening all around us day in and day out. And it's ironic, isn't it? Because we live in a society that is obsessed with safety. We live in a society that is obsessed with preparations, right? Doomsday preppers, have you guys ever seen those shows? They've got bunkers, they've got food, they've got water, they know their plan of emergency, right? They're ready to go. The tragedy happening in our schools right now. I know our hearts are breaking as we see mass shootings and families' lives disruptive. And what are they doing? They're doing drills. The police are doing in-school drills. They're getting ready. They're prepping so when this attack happens, they can deal with it in a, in a quicker and better way, God willing, right? How many of you have ring doorbells? No one in this congregation has a ring doorbell or a nest, I'm sorry. I don't know what you have. You have security cameras in your home. You can turn the lights on if you're away from your phone to make sure nobody's coming into your house, right? We are obsessed with prepping and making sure we are ready if something catastrophic or awful happens. And yet as Christians, we live with our eyes closed, with our armor laying in the armory off our bodies, subject to spiritual attack simply because we are not living the way that Christ has called us to live. Christ has called us to prepare for battle. Christ has told us the enemy is coming. Let's be ready. Let's not panic and go too far the other way, right? We know Satan has already been defeated. We know his time is short, and he knows it. You better believe he knows it, but that's not going to stop him from trying to get a foothold in the church, from trying to get a foothold in your own life. But let's not give Satan more power than he is due. Greater is he that is living in me than he that is living in the world, right? That's what scripture says but it also calls us to be prepared to fight the battles that Christ has fought, called us to fight in his own strength. Sometimes I think we as Christians are surprised when the enemy attacks. 
because our eyes aren't looking for these spiritual battles. How many of you have ever asked, why God? I mean, like, get behind me in line. That's fair. <laughs> That's life in this world. We don't have all the answers. But sometimes I think what God must be baffled about is when we ask the why God question that has to do with our unpreparedness. We think life should be easy. But God tells us, stand firm. One of the translations in here says, gird up your loins, which means get ready. <laughs> get ready, the battle is coming. God tells us and prepares us. And we go, God, why is this happening? Why is this thing happening? It's so hard. I don't know what to do. I'm completely falling apart and breaking down. And sometimes I wonder if God goes, I gave you a whole armory. You walked by it every day. You saw the armor. You saw the sword. You saw the shield. And when the enemy comes at you in battle, you blame me for not being prepared? Now, I don't know. I don't know if that's what God says. I don't want to speak for the Lord on that, but I think that's how I would feel <laughs> in my very human self. What? Brothers and sisters, this is not right, and this is not how we are called to live. Paul, as God's messenger, on behalf of God, says, put on your armor, brothers and sisters. The words he says is, after you have done everything, then you will stand. Done everything doesn't indicate that we just like happen to stand. Oh, cool, I'm still standing? This battle came against me and I'm still standing up? Okay, cool. Done everything means you have followed what God has laid out. You have fought the fight, you have prepared. It's not sheer happenstance, it is intentional action on the part of God's people living in obedience and using the tools he has given us. Paul uses action verbs like this in our passage, he says, Put on, buckle, place, fit, take, and take up. Sometimes God does the thing for us, right? Like we talked about, it is on his strength. It is in his strengthening that we are fighting. We can't gain that strength alone. But then other times, the verbiage is on us, brothers and sisters. God has given us minds. And, and hearts with abilities, with free will. And God says, I'm going to strengthen you, but do what I have asked you to do. Put it on. Take it up. These are verbs in the Greek that indicate we have a responsibility in our lives of following with the Lord. Let us do that faithfully. Let us completely be enveloped in the strength that he gives us, but be absolutely faithful and responsible as people in Christ to do the work, to put on the armor that he has called us to. This weekend, I was in Traverse City with some friends, and it was hot in Traverse City this weekend, kind of like it's hot in here. Um, we're doing great. Um, and I was, we were looking for the car um, in, a, in a parking lot, and I'm standing in the middle of the sunny parking lot, looking all around for the car, and I'm squinting like this. You know, do you ever do that in the sun? You're like, I can't see anything. And that's when I realized my sunglasses were on my head. So I put my sunglasses on my face and I found the car, which is great. Actually, I think they found the car before I did, but I was able to see again, miraculously. I had the tool the whole time, right? I just wasn't using it properly. It was sitting on my head, not super helpful. How many of us do the exact same thing with the armor of God? 
with the weapons that God has given us, the defensive armor that he has given us to battle with the enemy when he tries to get a foothold, when he tempts, when he whispers lies, when he tries to sow seeds of division among us because our sunglasses are on our head, because our armor is still in the armory that we've walked by every day. This is antithetical to who we are in Christ. If we are rooted in Christ, we're gonna have that armor on. Brothers and sisters, walk daily with him and put the armor on. So what is this armor? This, this sermon, Bob has given a sermon before about the beautiful breakdown on the armor of God, and I encourage you to go back and listen to it. We don't have time for all of that today, but I do want us to go over the specific pieces of armor at least quickly. First of all, what our armor is, is armor that God himself wears. Isaiah 59. Go there later today if you have time. The armor we are called to wear is the armor that God and Isaiah is talked about wearing, the helmet of salvation. God himself wears the breastplate of righteousness. We as his people are called to follow in God's footsteps. We're called to look like God. We are being sanctified to look more and more like Christ, right? We're made in the image of God. So it makes sense that the armor that God wears, he imparts to us. He says, be like me. Put on righteousness. Take on the helmet of salvation. That is what our armor is. And the second thing our armor is, is really an example from Paul. When Paul is writing this book, he's in prison. And he's chained to a Roman soldier. Literally chained. And at the end of his passage, he says, I'm an ambassador in chains. He's chained hand to hand to a Roman soldier. So he's probably looking at this soldier, whether the soldier was in full armor gear or not, and being reminded of this analogy of the Roman armor. So the, the armor of God that we're given is, is very correlated to the Roman armor of the day. Paul tells us our armor is a belt of truth. Friends, a belt was essential to the Roman armor. If a soldier was off duty, his belt would hang there. It wasn't tied. It wasn't secure, it wasn't put in place and buckled firmly like Paul says. But when it was time for battle, as scripture says, the soldier would gird up his loins. <laughs> he would tie that belt firmly in place because it brought all his other clothing a little bit tighter so he could run and move and prepare for battle. The belt of truth gets us ready for battle. It holds it all together. And the belt of truth is God's word. We, as God's people, know the word. It's the center. It's what holds us together. And then we live lives of truth in the world that reflect the good news of Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We know ultimate truth is found in Christ and the way we live and how we root ourselves in the word should reflect that. Our armor is the belt of truth. Our armor is also the breastplate of righteousness. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are, the Bible says we have become the righteousness of God. Our sins are, are, are taken by Christ himself and we are imputed with his righteousness. It's just a fancy way of saying we're, we're given and covered and filled with his righteousness. And we live that, that character, that life of character of righteousness day in and day out as we put that breastplate of righteousness on. It's reflective of who God is. And it's reflective of who we are in Christ now. That righteous way of living 
protects us from the power of the enemy in such a corrupt and broken world. The breastplate that the Romans put on was there to protect their vital organs, right? It was to protect their heart. It was to protect their organs, the things that were absolutely at the center necessity of who they were in the face of battle. The righteousness that comes from God protects our hearts in this broken and corrupt world. This is our armor. And the shield of faith. God says, take up the shield of faith, right? We are people of faith. That is the only reason we are here. We've been saved through faith, right? Through faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. But the interesting thing about the shield is the shield of faith doesn't just stop the, enemy, the enemy's arrows, these flaming arrows. It does that. One of, one of the records I was looking at from the Roman shield said, one Roman shield at the end of the battle, they counted they had stopped 200 different arrows from the enemy and just one of their shields. So it absolutely protects. But this was a time in war where they were using fiery arrows. <laughs> so even if it hit your wooden shield, that fire could spread, right? And the last thing that you need is an entire Roman army running on fire. But what the Romans would do is they would cover it in leather and douse it in, in water. And when it hit the shield, it would actually put the fire out. I think Paul is saying to us, take up the shield of faith, not just to be protected in your faith, but to stop the spread of the devil's attack, to stop the spread of the lies, to stop the spread of the enemy attacking. Because we know he gets in there, doesn't he? He gets in there and lodges himself and it starts to steep sneakily. And Paul says, this is what faith does. It shuts down the, the attack of the enemy and any subsequent sneaking in that he may try to do. Take up the shield of faith. And notice these truth, righteousness, faith. These are character-building things. This is a way of living that we don't just create on our own. Again, it goes back to being rooted in God. We need to live in connection with him as his people to be able to, to live in such a way with such character, right? And then Paul goes on and he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. The helmet of salvation signifies that we have victory in Christ. And the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Brothers and sisters, here again, hear how many of these armor of God, how many of these pieces tie to the word of God, to the Bible, to the gospel, to the truth. And the interesting thing about these two pieces of armor, it's actually different verbiage. These are the ones that Paul says God gives to us to put on. God gives to us himself. God gives us salvation. And God gives us the word. We receive them from God. They're not just sitting in the armory. These are ones we need to receive. And that's beautiful. And then finally, Paul refers to Feet fittedness, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Again, tying back to the word, the gospel gives us firm footing. The Romans had good shoes. They could walk a long way and be ready to stand against the enemy with good footing when they came. Eventually, the Romans got cleats on the bottom of their shoes, and they were known for being able to go faster and farther and stand stronger than any other army because their footing was sure. We are called to put on the shoes of the gospel that brings peace and gives us good, firm footing in this fight. Now we have other tools that Paul talks about too. They're not necessarily listed as armor, 
per se. I think you could consider them that, but they're tools that we need to not neglect. And those tools are prayer, being alert, and preaching the word. Paul requests prayer at the end of this chapter. He tells us not just to pray for him, not just to pray for ourselves, but to pray for all of our brothers and sisters that are doing battle. To be Roman was to be ready for battle. To be Christian is to be in prayer. Paul says, use the prayer, use your connection to God to stay alert, to stay awake. Prayer connects us to God. Prayer strengthens the army of God. Prayer does something that nothing else can do and makes us alert in such a way that we have eyes that are open to see the battle around us, to prepare for it. And when we are praying and prepared and alert, we, we already have the victory, don't we? Because we have been already promised the power. These are tools that God gives us along with the armor of God. And finally, Paul talks about the gospel. Paul says, pray for me that I may declare the gospel. Brothers and sisters, don't confuse the power that God has given us with a physical domineering power. We know the Crusades, right? We know that too often Christians have borne the name of Jesus for physical abuse. That is not what this is saying. You are a people of power, and our power is so often in words. In the word of God, in truth, the way we speak and live righteously, right? In the gospel, the good news of the gospel, Paul says, pray as I'm chained to this Roman, as I'm probably going to go before kings, maybe even the emperor, governors, pray that I may declare the gospel as I should. Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but the enemy can use flesh and blood against us. But we know there's power in speaking the word of God, the good news of the gospel, and that gospel, those words, in the spirit of God, God can use in the sword of the spirit to change an enemy, a pawn of the enemy, into a soldier for Christ. So as you go with, these, with this armor, with your prayers, with your awareness, preach the word. Preach the word and see how God will use the word as its own weapon for defense and for offense. The sword of the spirit, God's word, is this beautiful weapon of offense that God has given us. So brothers and sisters, put on your armor. <laughs> this is who we are this is what we have been called to do. Amen. I want to end by just sharing this image with you. Kurt and I have gotten really into a show called America the Beautiful. Um, it's a cool documentary. I don't know if you guys watch animal documentaries like we do. <laughs> but it's an animal documentary about all the different ecosystems throughout America. And one of the ecosystems we've been looking at are, are the plains. Um, and, and this one is actually, um, I think this was the tundra. But we learned about musk ox. Musk ox are these weird looking big old suckers. Um, and we learned something really cool about the musk ox and the way they defend themselves. Wolves are the number one predator of a musk ox. And the wolves will consistently and persistently come after them because there's not a lot of food where they live and they need the food to survive. But the musk ox are smart. They know they can't outrun the wolves. They were not built for speed. I don't know if some of you weren't built for speed either, but you've got other defensive mechanisms. They were not built for speed, but God gave them a defensive system internally. So when the wolves come, they gather the weak, 
they gather their young and they put them between their shoulders or either on the inside of the circle and they form what's called a defensive circle. And what it is essentially is them standing shoulder to shoulder and not moving. See, God has given the musk ox weight and he has given them these, this armor, this naturally built-in armor of very, very sharp horns. So if a wolf comes at the circle and he's got three sets of horns, they'll gore the wolves and the wolves will die instantly. Now if the musk ox panic and they break ranks and they stop standing and try to run, they never outrun the wolves. The wolves pick one of them and they take them down. But when they stand, when they stand firm together, the wolves dissipate and they come back another day because they know there's no way they're getting the weak, they're getting the young, or they know there's no way they're getting the strong because they have stood in their power and stood firm. Brothers and sisters, this is a picture of what we are called to do. Sometimes we're the weak ones in this body united in Christ. Sometimes we're the strong ones. It doesn't matter. We are called to stand. Individual soldiers don't win a battle. It's armies standing together that win the fight. This is the path to victory that Christ has given us. Standing in his power, putting on the armor, and doing it as risen children of God, united in one body. So as you go out this week, I just ask you, is your armor on? <laughs> Are you standing connected to your brothers and sisters living in community in such a way that you have this circle of defense around you? And are you living rooted as a child of God with your identity in the strength and power of the Lord? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the chance to come into your presence together as your people to be reminded of who we are alive in you. God, we look at who you've told us we are over the last weeks. We look at who you've, how you've called us to live in that identity. And we confess that sometimes we look like the scared soldier, unprepared for battle. But God, this morning, I pray you would remind each one of us in the deepest places of our hearts that it is by your strength alone that we can stand. No matter how weak we feel, no matter how big we feel the enemy is, we know your strength is mightier, the strength that rose Jesus from the grave. So God, empower us with that strength. Remind us you already have and teach us to do what we must to put on our armor so when the enemy faces us, we won't stand shaking in our boots. Instead, we will stand connected with brothers and sisters in Christ, rooted firm in you and in the power you offer us. Help us to watch the enemy flee in fear as we claim the name and the power of Jesus together. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.